So who can tell me the strongest man in the world? And I mean muscular strength, not courage or valor, all that kind of, strongest muscular man in the world. Anybody know? Well, I know they have the, the annual strongest man in the world competition. Um, apparently, that does not bring much fame and glory currently. Uh, name of that man is Brian Shaw. He is uh, the current title holder from last year. Uh, very, very strong man. In fact, he could barely fit through that doorway back there. Large guy, muscular. I mean, um, kind of name some other people known for being strong like that. Come on, you want to say it? Arnold. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Mr. Universe. Back in 1970, he was Mr. Universe, kind of the launching of his career in many different directions through the years. I mean, talk about the Terminator. I mean, that something about Arnold and that strength and those biceps. And I mean, wow. Talk about strength. Or another current name might be The Rock. And you talk about strength, you know. And the thing is, though, if you think and, and break it all down, what is the strongest muscle in the human body? I mean, surely it'd be like the bicep, right? I mean, if you were to measure some of those biceps on these guys, I mean, they're, they're like bigger than my waist, and, and, uh, which is growing by the day rather than shrinking. Or how about this? Maybe if you were to measure their, 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 their thigh and how big that is, it's huge and strength. But is that the strongest muscle in the human body? You know, I'd like to suggest, and I know they say the heart actually as a muscle is one of the strongest, but I'd actually like to suggest a different muscle is even stronger than that. When it comes to having the ability to inflict woundedness and cause havoc and hurtfulness, there's actually nothing stronger than that fleshy muscle that swims around your mouth. It's called the tongue. And if you've ever experienced this and realized that the words that can come out of our mouths have the ability to hurt and inflict deeper wounds than any punch to the gut ever will or any great feat of strength, the words that we speak can be so powerful. And unfortunately, when used in bad ways, can inflict great havoc and cause great pain. You think about that today, and you think, well, well it's just so small. What's the big deal? And yet, we're reminded all the time how words can be so painful. Maybe you read it in today's chapter, in chapter 7, in A Violent Grace, and Michael Card reminisced, he says this, can you remember a humiliation from childhood that seemed to burn a hole in your heart? You wore the wrong clothes and kids teased you. You said the wrong thing at the wrong time at the top of your voice. Your clumsiness in gym class made you the butt of the teacher's jokes or the other kids' jokes. Though I do not possess an especially good memory at any given moment, I can recall with perfect clarity an incident that happened to me more than 35 years ago. And he goes on to describe this scene, sitting at a, in a cafeteria table, surrounded by around 15 other classmates, and somebody next to him spilled their milk, their milk all over him at, at lunchtime. He was drenched in milk, 
and it wasn't his fault. He had nothing to do with it. It was someone else that knocked over the milk, and yet the kids turned toward him and started making fun of him to such a degree that Michael Card remembers sitting at that table, weeping, sobbing in humiliation in that moment because of their words and their taunts. You've heard me share this before. I, I, I grew up, I remember this, in grade school, people used to make fun of the way I ran and the way I walked. I was so self-conscious, afraid, afraid to run in front of somebody or walk in front of someone. To this day, I tell you the truth, one of my greatest social fears is to say walk into a gymnasium where there's a whole group of people all in the gymnasium and it's like in the middle of a game and it's that moment where you have to walk across the floor and the edge in front of everybody. I freak out to do that because I'm afraid of what people will think about the way I walk. Is that not ridiculous? About some little comment made in grade school. You know, the power that words have to inflict woundedness or to ruin somebody's character or ruin somebody's reputation. Um, I, I remember this too. I, I remember in high school, there was a, a girl that transferred into our school in my sophomore or junior year. She was a really, really nice girl and, and got to, to meet her in one of my classes, um, befriended her, really amazing young lady. And about two or three weeks after she transferred into our school, one day I'm walking through the hallway after school. She's in the fetal position, sobbing on the floor. And I kind of knew already what she was crying about because this rumor was passing through the hallways. Kids were about who she was or what she had done at a former school. And she's just sobbing on the floor, a mess. And I said, are you okay? Are you okay? And she says, it's not true. It didn't happen the way they say. And a reputation and the rumors follow. Such is the power of words. You know, and the thing is, is as we grow up, that kind of approach to life just follows us. As adults, we, we just get more, more covert in how we gossip or how we hurt or how we inflict woundedness. It might be through sarcasm that comes off as a joke, but really in it is words that are meant to wound. That's our motive. And whether we are those who inflict those words that cause damage or whether we are those that have received those words that cause damage, we know it well. They hurt and they sting. And recovery takes actually a lot longer than a flesh wound to heal because they war right against our own psyche, our own ability to cope emotionally with life. God's Word even says this. Jesus had a brother named James who went on to be a, a leader in the early church. And he wrote a book called James. And in chapter 3, verse 3, it says this, We put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire 
by hell. Wow. Goes on and says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse other fellow human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. It's the most powerful muscle in the human body, the tongue. And the words that can inflict woundedness and damage and hurt. The old phrase that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me actually isn't very true. What your mom told you isn't right. <laughs> I hate to say it. Words wound. And to that reality, we have a situation that arises in Matthew 26. It says here that the chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. You hear that? They were looking for false evidence. doesn't say they were looking for true evidence. No, they were searching, trying to find something wrong. <laughs> looking as hard as they could, searching for something to accuse him of. But they didn't find any. Though many, this gets me, though many false witnesses came forward. Where are these people coming from? They're what, angry because Jesus is going around healing people? What, are they angry because he was showing too much compassion, too much love? Many false witnesses came forward to speak against the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, God who had come to earth to save and rescue us. And false witnesses were coming forward to bash him, to lambast him. And it says, finally two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Ah, now we got him. And of course, we know the quote, we're on this side of it. We know what he meant, the temple, and the word he used actually was referring to his body, not the physical temple that had still been in process of being built, even in Jesus' day. But the temple of his body. Destroy this body, and in three days, I will rebuild it, a, a prophecy or promise of his resurrection after the crucifixion. But that didn't quite fit the false testimony they were looking for. So like, no, he said he'd destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Like, okay, now we got him. The high priest stood up, said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. You hear that? Just like Isaiah 53, hundreds of years foretold, he would remain silent. Now when addressed, aren't you who you say you are, the Son of God? And he says, it is as you say. And from now on you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in glory. Now we got him. He's worthy of death, they start to shout, and they lead him out, they take him to the praetorium, and, and when the soldiers get a hold of him, they continue the mockery. They make it a, a display, hail to the king of the Jews. I mean, imagine what Jesus was willing to endure. 
as David reflected on it, what it would be like to be made fun of, to be mocked, and those who just surround you like dogs, to laugh at you and torture you with their words. How significant that our Savior was willing to come into this broken, fallen world and be willing to endure even mockery even false rumors, even false witnesses who would bear witness against him. And why would he do that? You know, if he was running for president right now, he wouldn't be doing very well. Because he's not fighting back, he's not saying enough accusatory words, right? Jesus was silent. You know, many would say, why would God come and seem to be such a wimp? Where's the, the God of strength? Where's the glory of God? And yet, God shows us that in this moment, His willingness to suffer in our place, His willingness to be inflicted even with the woundedness of words, it's all grace. It's all love. One of my favorite stories, and maybe you've heard me share this before, but I love this story, is a guy by the name of Daryl Loomis who worked as a truck driver, and, and he'd travel across the country, and, and often one of the, his favorite places to stop when he was going through Nebraska off the interstate was a place called Cletus's Diner. And Daryl loved, in particular, whatever they put in their gravy and their open-faced turkey sandwiches with the mashed potatoes. You know, oh man, this is like truck stop dining at its finest, and they had this great cherry pies they'd make. And, and one day, Daryl drives in, pulls in off the interstate, dusty parking lot, parks his 18-wheeler, walks in to Cletus's diner. There's Cletus. And, hey, Daryl! I mean, they knew each other. And Daryl's like, I'll take the usual. You know what I like. He's like, absolutely, Daryl. I'll bring that open-faced sandwich right out. And he's like, hey, you got some of that great cherry pie? He's like, yep, just came out of the oven this morning. He sits down. He's like, hey, do you want some of your favorite lemonade, too? They had this lemonade there that... They'd add a little bit of a raspberry flavoring to it too, just had a, a little extra kick in the lemonade. He loved that. And so they brought that out along with some ice water and Daryl went to, went to town on a sandwich as he was sitting there eating. It, it wasn't long after this though that you could hear the thunderous roar in the distance that got closer and closer until finally the parking lot was filled with around 20 to 30 bikers that had, had driven in. And, and I want to clarify this. There are people who are recreational motorcyclists that dress the part the whole deal on weekends. This was not that kind of group. Uh, these were professional thugs, you might say, who uh, rode the country just looking for trouble. And these guys come into Cletus, Cletus's diner, and, and they start causing havoc right from that moment. They sit down, and they're ordering, and Cletus with his wait staff trying to calm them down a little bit. And some of them, while they're waiting, see Daryl sitting over at his favorite booth. And they go over and look at him, and they're like, hey, you're having a bad hair day there, mister, huh? And, and they, one of them gets an idea, and actually puts his hand in Daryl's mashed potatoes and rubs it right through his hair. Daryl didn't retaliate, didn't do anything. He just kept looking down at his plate, eating quietly to himself. And another guy comes up and says, hey, you're looking kind of hot there. I think you need a bath. And takes his lemonade with raspberry and just starts dumping it over his head, goes rolling down, fills his plate with, the, with lemonade as well as all over him. He's just drenched. This goes on for several minutes till finally as they let up for a moment, as they're making fun, like, yeah, he's not much of a man, is he? What a wimp! And, and Daryl 
quietly gets up, gets his wallet out, goes up to the front till, and, and there Cletus meets him with a towel. He's like, I'm so sorry, Daryl. I'm so sorry for this. And Joe's just wiping it off best he can. He pays. He makes his way out the parking lot. The guys are just laughing at him. What a wimp. Can you believe it? He's not much of a man. And, and uh, as he drives away, and the guys are laughing about it. And they're saying, what a guy. He's not much of a man, is he? And Cletus kind of smiles to himself. He said, yep, um, maybe you think he's not much of a man, but apparently he's not much of a driver either because he just drove over all your motorcycles with his 18-wheeler. <laughs> um, I tell you that not because I recommend that approach, but I tell you that because, you know, isn't that what Jesus has done? He gets the final word because he didn't come to combat us. He came to combat sin, and he came back to combat and stand up against the devil. And that which would destroy us, that which would accuse us, that would tear us apart for eternity, Jesus stands up to it, and he has the final word. And that final word is, it is finished. And the final word to you and me, whether we have been those who have received those kind of hurtful words, whether we are those who have inflicted those kind of words to others, and we come before the Lord and say, who am I? And God says, you are loved. You are forgiven, my child, because of what I have done for you. Hear my word today. You are mine. In Jesus' name, amen.